I want to start my my sermon today. We're going to be talking about the heart of worship, but I kind of want to go back and I want to take you on what was my journey in in this thing called Christianity, in this thing called a relationship with God, uh, because it really does that the center of it, that at the very the very heart of it is this kind of idea of, of, of to me, what was true worship and, and what did that mean? When I, was, when I was five years old, I accepted Jesus into my heart. My mom led me to the Lord at only five years old. And you may be thinking, wow, that's young. And I was, I was young. But I, I, I do believe uh, that, you know, I did have an experience. I do believe that there was that kind of faith of a child that I just thought, I want that. I didn't know what it all meant, but I knew that it was good. And, and, I, and, I, and I would come to learn who Jesus was. But my mom, at, at five years old, in our, in our apartment, uh, led me to the Lord. But, you know, it, I'll admit it, things didn't necessarily get better. In fact, uh, when I was seven, you know, my parents divorced. And, and my world was turned upside down. Uh, my mom, at the age of 11, had sent me off uh, to a, uh, a, a camp, a Christian uh, elementary camp, and um, it was the first time that I really experienced God. And, and, it, and I experienced, you know, this, this, that God wasn't just some distant thing, that he wasn't just something that I was learning about in a book. God, at the age of 11, at a Christian kids camp, God became very real to me, and I uh, felt the presence of the Holy Spirit come upon me. There, I've shared the story before, but I'll share it briefly again. There, the, I don't remember a word the, the, the preacher said that whole week. Couldn't tell you one thing. But I remember him asking me, uh, uh, the whole audience of, you know, of elementary students, that did we want the gift of the Holy Spirit? And of course, you know, if it's free, if it's offered, I want it. Right? Just like when you walk into church and the donuts are free, you know, you're going to eat as many of them as you can. If it's offered for free, I want it. And he said, you know, do you want the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit? And I was at an age of 11. I was like, yes, I want it. And in that moment, in that moment, I felt God's presence not just around me, but I felt him inside of me. And, and, and one of the kind of the fruits of that was I personally began to pray in the spirit. I began to speak in tongues and nobody taught me. Nobody even prompted me to do that. I just began to do it. And in fact, it, it carried over. It ended and I was in, I don't know uh, how many of you have had this experience the first time you felt the Holy Spirit kind of, you know, uh, wash upon you and you don't want to leave that presence because it's something like you've never, ever felt before and I didn't want to leave it. And so they dismissed and, and I went out and I just started, you know what, I'm going to start doing, start praying for people. So I started going up to my friends at camp and people I didn't even know. I said, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? And in the beginning, people were, were obliging but at this point, people wanted to move on. They wanted to play. They wanted to, you know, do games. And they wanted to, you know, you know do all the activities. And I was like, no, I want to pray for you. Just as I felt the presence of God and I felt the Holy Spirit inside of me. And so I'm going around and I'm praying. And literally someone finally said, would you just stop already? So camp ended and I went back home. I went back to my life. I went back to school. And, and you know, it, it, it eventually as the days uh, rolled into weeks, and as the weeks rolled into months, and eventually as the months would roll into years, 
um, I, I had kind of forgotten about that experience. I had kind of just left it there. It was something that I didn't really take with me. And, and through my teenage years um, were probably some of the roughest. And to be honest with you, God, God wasn't necessarily distant from me, but I was definitely distant from him. I didn't seek him out. I didn't, uh, you know, I knew he was there and I still believed in God. And if you had asked me if I was a Christian, I, I would have said yes and, and all those things. But I was definitely living for myself. And it wasn't until the age of 18 that I, I felt and really in my mind heard God's voice saying, Matthew, it, I want you to serve me. And I, and I didn't quite know what all that meant, but I knew that at that moment that my life was changing. I knew that at that moment that I had to make a decision. Was I going to pursue life and make it all about me, or was I going to pursue God and, and let him guide me? And I made it in that moment. I, was, I, I remember it exactly. I was waking up. I was, I was going to Fullerton uh, Junior College at the time, and I was getting up one morning to get ready. And I remember just that voice in my head saying, uh, Matthew, I want you to serve me. I, I have a plan for your life. And, and, and if you would follow me, I will show you that plan. And I remember, in, in, you know, as I was getting up and as I sat in my bed, I, I said, yes, Lord. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't necessarily even know what to do next. But I, I knew at that moment you know, there was a church that I was, you know, a, a part of at the time. And, and I, I said, I got to go find the pastors of that church. And, and I found the pastors of that church and actually started to even befriend uh, one of the pastors who was the children's pastor at the time. And I, and I told him, I, I want to serve. I want to serve. He threw me in children's ministry. And, and you, most of you all know the story. I, I completely fell in love with it. I found my calling. I, I knew that, you know what, I had experienced a lot of hurt and pain and tragedy in my childhood, and I, I wanted to do children's ministry. I wanted to work with kids. I, I loved being goofy and funny and, and all those things, and I poured myself into that ministry. I, in fact, we spent hours, uh, volunteer hours at the church you know, more than 40 hours a week at times. You know, we were there. In fact, it got to a point where the, the senior pastor of the church came to the children's pastor and he said, hey, I know you got a bunch of, you know, young guys that work for you. I haven't seen them in church. What are they doing? He's like, well, they're all serving in children's ministry. He goes, they need to get into church. And I remember like so disappointed because I loved children's ministry so much and I loved doing uh, you know, all the things that we would do and the skits and the, and the, and, you know, I even got to, that was when I, that's how I cut my teeth in preaching, you know, I'm telling you, if you can preach to elementary kids, I mean, I've even preached to preschoolers. If you can preach to preschoolers, you can preach to anyone, right? Because they're squirrely there. I mean, I, I could keep, you know, I, I could keep going and not be distracted and I'd have kids walking around me and tugging on my leg, telling me they had to go to the bathroom and everything like that. But, but I was determined, you know, to preach the word of God, to teach them about Jesus and the Bible. And that, you know, just began my, my you know, my 20s and, and, and the years would go by and, 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 and that's when something happened and, and disillusionment Set in, and I started to see the the behind the scenes of of church, and I started to to realize that that you know uh, that that this isn't all fun and games, and 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 that was when I really you know probably for the first time started to feel burnout. 
I started to feel weary, and I started to, you know, even, even you know, the leaders and things like that kind of questioned me, and, 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 you know, I got a lot of, you know, finger wagging at the time, and, and, you know, most of it was deserved, but there were certain things that I felt like, man, this is just, I'm just doing what I love. And, and, it, and it really came to a head when um, my friends and I kind of stepped out and, and wanted to form our own ministry, and we were even going to do a, a, a television show kind of based on this, this idea, and, and we just got hammered, you know, and we just got attacked, and, and, and it, was, it was awful, and really that, that was at the point where I, I just completely kind of started losing hope and, and started to become even a little bitter and angry at the church, because I felt like the, the one group of people that was supposed to be supportive of me, the one group of people that I had, you know, poured my life, you know, into, I felt like at the time was kind of at that moment turning its back on me. And, and I became angry and I started kind of having these types of conversations with God. Well, well God, you know, how could I have spent all this time, you know, doing your work, you know, and, and all this time, you know, ministering to your people and, and all this time, you know, blood, sweat and tears, you know, and how could you let it just end like this? And I realized that God was actually trying to show me something that I hadn't seen. You see, I thought worship and devotion to God was based on, look at all the good things that I was doing, right? Look at all the children that I am, you know, leading to the Lord. Look at all the Bible stories that I am teaching. You know, look at all the, the cool, fun skits and the camps that we're putting together. And I would present those to God and I would say, look, God, look what a good Christian I am. You know, why aren't you blessing me? Why is life still so hard? Why do I still seem to be banging my head against the wall? And I felt like in that moment, in this, in this kind of time of brokenness, when, when literally all, all of that was starting to fade away, I, I wasn't involved uh, in church like I was, I, I, I wasn't even doing ministry, I was finally moved all the way along, I had a, I had a, a full-time job in sales um, that just was a grind, and, and I really, it, it, you know what was the only thing that was left? It was me and God. And I remember crying out to him, going, Lord, what happened? I thought I was on this trajectory to do great things for you. I thought I was going to be the next star children's leader, you know what I mean, that was going to be promoted and, and you know, do all these great things for you and go speak at camps and, and have a cool TV show and all of that for you, God. I was doing all of that for you. And God said, really? Were you doing all of that for me? Or were you doing all of that for you? And I had to ask myself those tough questions. And I had to finally come to the place where I was realizing that, that was I really truly worshiping God or, or was I just worshiping all the things that I was doing and, and, and wanting, if anything, wanting God's attention by all the great things that I was doing. And that's where I came like the song says, to my own place of the heart of worship. And that's where everything changed for me, and, and that's where ministry changed for me, and that's where I, I finally started, stopped, if anything, stopped striving and, and stopped thinking that God was going to somehow be more impressed with me by the more ministry I did, by the more 
kids that I ministered to, by the more, you know, whatever, by the positions and, and titles that I had. And God, the whole time, all he wanted was me. It was all he ever wanted. Did he give me gifts and talents to do certain things? Well, sure, he, he's given all of us different gifts and talents to, to do things, but, but that's not, just like the song says, that's not what he required of me. If I had not done one of those things, he still would have loved me. If I had sat at his face in his presence every morning and just spent time with him, that was all that he wanted. He didn't care if I spoke at hundreds of kids' camps and he didn't care if, you know, he, I'm not saying that those things aren't great. Those things were good and I, and I have great memories. But just like the song says, it's not what he required of me. It's what he was, you know, gifted me to do, but all he wanted was me. And I came to this place and I thought, you know what, I've been doing this all wrong. Not that what I had been doing was wrong, but it was my heart that was in the wrong place doing them. And it came to this place. Thank you, Karen. Karen's like my mom. She's taking care of me. Um, but I had come to this place where I, I finally discovered what real worship was or the light bulb had finally turned on. What is worship? I'll tell you this. I know what it's not. It, it's not doing all the things that I had been doing. That wasn't worship. That was the fruits of the giftings God had given me. And of course, you know, those were things that he had, he had you know, used in me. But, but that wasn't worship. And it got me to thinking, well, what is worship? Because I, I, I know what it's not, God. I, I know it's not running around like a chicken with your head cut off saying, look, God, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing, you know. How many of you have kids? How many have kids yet? Look at me, look what, I, look what I can do. Oh, yeah, it's sweet. But, yeah. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want you to be so busy doing the work of the Lord. He doesn't want you so busy keeping rituals in your life, like I have to do this, I, I have to go and do this, and I have to you know, do this, and then, and then God will accept me, then God will love me, then I can have a relationship with God. You don't understand God, and you obviously don't understand the heart of worship. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to look in that. We're actually going to go to the uh, uh, book of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 4. So if you would open your Bibles, if you would open your tablets, your, your phones, and if you'd go to John chapter 4, and I'm going to be reading it out of the New Living Translation, but, but Jesus kind of addresses this. And, only, and in the only way Jesus can, he does it so beautifully and lovingly and graciously. But John chapter 4, and... Many of you are familiar with this story, and I'll read it to you, but Jesus meets a woman at the well in, the, in the, the area of Samaria. Let me start it. John chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, or John the Baptist, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village 
of Sikar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. And he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and, uh, and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I will never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come uh, here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim that it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers, and here it is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. I kind of want to address some parts of this story that are are very important. And, and, And the first one is really about, you know, where Jesus is and, and, and whom he is talking to. You see, Jesus is in the, the, the area of, that was known at the time as Samaria, and, and Samaritans lived there. And, and if you, you know, most of you might know the, the, the kind of racial conflict between Jews and Samaritans. And basically, Samaritans were, were half-breeds, right? They were, they were Jews, um, that, that lived in the northern part 
of, you know, the, the nation of Israel. They lived in the northern part. And, and it's when they, you know, the, the Assyrians came and, and when, you know, they came and, and, and took over the land. And, it, and what had happened, they, they took a bunch of the Jews off to, you know, uh, away as captives. And some remained. And what they started doing was they start uh, intermarrying uh, with the, basically their captors or the, you know, the, the Syrians that had come in the land. But not only that, they, they started to, to take on even their, their religious beliefs. So, so not only were they, they physically half-breeds, they were, they were half-Jewish and half-Gentiles, you know, uh, but they also, not only did they still hold on to some of the practices of, of their Jewish heritage, but they also started worshiping uh, the other gods of, you know, of their families. And so this did create a problem. And, and, there, and there definitely was something you know, uh, about the Samaritans. But, but Jesus, as he always does, gets to the heart of the matter. And even though the Jews looked on the surface and, and they looked at them as, look at these people who have completely you know, gone away from our, our, our heritage and our culture and our, and our belief system and even, and even how they worship is even different. So Jesus was in a place that most Jews would have avoided, but he was there. Not only that, but Jesus was addressing a woman in the middle of the day in a public place. That is something also a Jewish man would have never done. He would have never have interacted with a woman by himself in a public place. And lastly, if those two things weren't bad enough, she was, and, and the story specifically says that she was drawing water at noontime. That was not the time that they would go draw water out of the well. They would have gone in the morning, and they all would have, you know, gone to the well together, and they would have filled up their water pots, and they would have taken home so that they would have water all day long. What was this woman doing by herself in the middle of the day drawing water? Well, we come to find out who she is. We come to find out kind of her sin. It's exposed. So not only is Jesus in a, in a town that was despised by most Jews, but Jesus is in the presence of, of, a, of a woman which was just culturally unacceptable, but Jesus is also, as a rabbi and as a teacher, he is having a conversation with a woman, right, who is, at the time, find out that she's living with a man that's not even her husband. Three things that we in our cultures would say, you know, three strikes and you're out. But Jesus goes past all of that. He breaks through all of that. And this is, this is kind of the greater story and the greater understanding that Jesus came to break racial divide. That Jesus is greater than race. That Jesus came to break, you know, the, the, our cultural, you know, uh, issues, our cultural things. And then Jesus even came and has the power even over sin itself. In this one story, it's addressing all of these things. And only Jesus could have done that because only Jesus was holy. And only Jesus' intentions were pure. So then it goes on. Jesus, uh, uh, next, Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman. And the third thing is Jesus uh, uh, addresses uh, interaction, of course, of the location. There's many uh, spiritual functions that parallel physical ones, and Jesus brings up one of them. Jesus talks about living water. 
Living water, what, what is this? And, and, and he, he proposes to the woman that I have living water to give to you. I have living water. And, and, and we've also heard Jesus refer to, uh, you know, uh, things like the, the bread of life. Jesus uses these two physical things to parallel spiritual things. What is something that you cannot live without? Cannot live without water. What is something you need to nourish yourself every day? That's, that's food. You need food. And Jesus addresses these things in the spiritually saying just like that. But, but beyond just sustaining you for a day, beyond just sustaining you for a moment, I am the living water. I have the living water and I am the bread of life that will sustain you for all eternity. So let's get into this idea, though, of, of worship. What is worship? And I actually have a quote from a gentleman by the name of David Mathis, who is the executive editor of DesiringGod.org. And I, and I just love kind of how he put it. Because I myself asked, what is, what is worship? So the essence of true worship is not external, but it is internal. Heart and head, emotion and thought, spirit and truth. Whether we're talking all of life is worship, like seen in Romans 12.1, which, which Romans 12.1 explains that, that your, your life should be as a living sacrifice or corporate gathering for worship, like, like what we do. What is worship? What is worship? The one thing that we can say and the one thing that we can see constantly is that worship is not an external thing. And it's not about just going to church and sitting there and standing up and singing songs. That is not worship. That is not, just like the song says, that is not what is required of you. It is not external. It is internal. It is the heart. Jesus is looking at your heart. What is your attitude when you come to church? What is it you know, that you are seeking? Are you going to be honest? And I love about the story. This is one of the other you know, little nuggets of the story. You know, Jesus addresses her sin. He exposes her. Now, it's just the two of them, but he exposes her sin. But what does she do that is so important to worship? She tells the truth. She didn't know that, she, that this was the, the, the living God in front of her. She just assumed that it was some man. And even though he reads her mail, reads her mail, I mean, precisely, he, he just says, this is what, you know. And by the way, he just says it matter-of-factly, not condemning, not throwing it in her face, not, you know, condescendingly. He just simply states the truth. But she doesn't deny it. She allows the living God who exposes her sin, she allows it and says, you are absolutely right. And that is the first step to worship, is being honest about the condition of your heart. Because again, that's all Jesus wants. He wants your heart. It is not external, but it is internal. Spirit and truth. But the time is coming, going back to the scripture, going back to verse 23. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? 
What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Well, well, when we are born again, when we invite Jesus into our life, when we believe that he is the son of God, when we believe that he died on a cross for our sins, when we are born again, our spirit becomes alive. That is the new birth. That is where we get this idea of being born again. It's not that your, your physical body is born, born again. It is that something that was once dead inside of you is now alive. And that is the spirit part of you, which all of us have. All of us are, are, are not just body. We're not just, you know, mind, but we are also spirit. And it's the one thing that we don't feed enough. It's the one thing we don't acknowledge enough. We can now worship God with our spirit, just like the scripture says, because why? Because God himself is spirit. Now you can worship him on a level that could have never have been done before. When we study God's word, we understand his truths. We can now worship God based in our love for the knowledge of him. You see, it's not just about our spirits communing with him. It's not just about presenting our hearts to him, but it's also about the knowledge of who he is. Remember, my truth was skewed when I was in my 20s because I thought worshiping God was running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to do a bunch of stuff, hoping that he was going to be proud and hoping that I would become worthy But what I was missing was that he had already made me worthy. I didn't need to do all those things. All he wanted was relationship with me. And that was the one thing that I was not seeking back in those early days. I wasn't necessarily seeking his face. You know, the story, and I don't want to get too far ahead because we're going to talk about this story, but the story of, of Mary and Martha, Martha uh, was running around trying to get everything ready and trying to make everything look presentable and work, 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 work. And where was Mary? Right? She was at the feet of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that later. But worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Let me tell you, explain to you, contrasting this between the Old Testament way of worshiping God, thank you, and, and, the, and, and the New Testament way of worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And, and, and it's, it's even explained in that, in that Romans, we were talking about in Romans, as we, we become living sacrifices. See, the way they worshiped is they would bring their physical sacrifices to the temple. And that's even what the woman is, is telling, asking Jesus She's saying to him, wait a minute, there's this confusion. You Jews say that you only can worship God in Jerusalem. But we Samaritans believe that we can worship God here in Samaria at Jacob's well. Because obviously God did something amazing here. And Jesus is saying something that is revolutionary. He's saying it's not about a location. It's not about a location. It's about a relationship. And if you think that you can only worship God in a certain place, if you think that you can only worship God at church, if you think that you can only worship God when you go up to, you know, camp, when you get on that mountaintop, if you think that you can only worship God, you know, in in the Holy of Holies, then you are absolutely wrong because Jesus came and he's saying there's going to be a day, and by the way, that day is now. That you will be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. That means wherever you are, 
God is. And if God is there and you are there, then you can worship him. You can worship God at your work. You can worship God at your school. You can worship God in your neighborhood. You can worship God in your home. You can make any place the location of worship to God. You can turn any situation, any location into a place that this is going to be the Holy of Holies. That's what we did. This is a school. This is a, (coughs) excuse me. (coughs) This is a cafeteria. Right? Come Monday, come tomorrow, this is going to be filled with a bunch of high schoolers stuffing their face with hamburgers, getting tomatoes and, you know, things thrown on the ground. It's going to get a little dirty. It's probably going to get a little stinky. You know, there's that teen smell, right? How could this also be a place of worship? And that's because God's people are here. And that's all that matters. All that matters is wherever God's people are now, that that is where you can worship your Lord. And you need to understand that because it will help your thinking. It will help you understand that you don't have to strive to get to a certain place, maybe even a certain location, or maybe a certain place in your mind that if I somehow, you know, reach this place, then I will be worthy of worshiping God. God says, I've already made you worthy. You can worship him right here and right now. That is what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. And here's another way of saying it. Saying the same thing, but just in a different way. Worshiping God with heart and mind, right? Worshiping God in heart and mind. And we all know the scripture, love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. And what that is saying is, listen, love God with every part of you. Love God, it's more than just loving God intellectually. Oh, yes, you know, I read the scriptures. I understand what the scriptures say, and, and thus and thou, and hither and there. <laughs> that, that does not make you, just because you have the knowledge of Jesus, just because you have the knowledge of scriptures, that does not necessarily mean that you love God with everything. Just like me, going back to that 20-year-old, just because I was loving the Lord with my strength, Right? I was going to run around. I was going to conquer the world. I was going to be the best children's pastor out there, the best camp speaker available. I still was missing, missing it because I, I, I was only loving him with, you know, with part of it. I wasn't, I wasn't you know, loving him with all that I had. Listen, God does have an emotional side to him, right? Just as we do. And we want to feel God and have an emotional connection to him. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, I don't want to just just learn about God. I want to feel God. Amen? Now, by the way, I've gone to church and not necessarily felt God, and that doesn't mean that he wasn't there. But what I'm trying to say is I want to connect with him, not just on an intellectual level. I want our spirits to connect, where I feel him inside of me. That's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. But we must also understand God and who he is to understand his love and plan for us. And the Bible says, and you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free. You see, just like I want to experience God emotionally and just like I want to feel him inside of me and just because I want to have a spiritual connection with him, I also need to understand that there's the truths about God and I need to understand those truths because it will help my relationship with him. Sin is still sin. Sin sin still has to be dealt with. And God did deal with that sin by sending his son Jesus down. And we need to understand this. You see, our thinking can be off. Our thinking can be skewed. We can worship God out of uh, misunderstanding him. And, And by the way, that's what creates false religion. When people start doing things not based on the truth of God, but based on just what they've decided to interpret God as being. And by the way, it starts to become kind of wacky. But we need to know the truth because it says in the scripture that the truth will set you free. Here's another way of saying it. Belief and action, right? Just like we talked about faith and works a couple months ago. You see, what happens is when, when we have the knowledge of God, when we have the presence of God, when our spirits are connecting, something should happen. It should go from just something that's inside of me to then how I live. If I believe it, just like James talked about, if I believe it, then I'm going to live it out. Amen? And this is where we, as Christians, this is where it affects us, if you truly believe. This is why, you guys, we raise our hands in church. It's not because the act of raising our hands supernaturally does something, right? It's because of what's happening inside of me. In my heart, I'm saying, I surrender to you, Lord. So with my hands, I will show it. Right? Within my heart, I say I'm humbling myself before you, Lord, so in my actions, I will show it. It is not the physical thing that saves you, or it is not the physical thing that draws you close, but it should be the fruit of of what you believe. That is why when you go into a church and you see people raising their hands and you see people kneeling on their feet, it should be something, it should be a reaction to what is happening on the inside. Remember, it's not about the external, it is about the internal. That is where we worship God. That is where we worship God. You know you are living a life of worship to God when everything you do is for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. I'll say it again, because I didn't write it up here. You know you are living a life of worship to God when everything you do is for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. So here it is. There's the practical thing. You guys, spend more time in the presence of God. Spend more time in the presence of God. I can't say it. I have been saying that since I was a children's pastor, and it never gets old. Spend more time in the presence of God. And the second thing is, and it's going to sound super easy, spend more time in his word. 
Because when you spend more time in the presence of God, you will receive that living water. And when you spend more time in his word, you will eat of that bread of life. And then you will be fulfilled. You see, some of you are looking for fulfillment and you're looking in all the wrong places. And as I'm closing, this this goes into, this is why, you guys, we are taking a 21-day fast as a church. Because we are going to put into action what we believe. And by removing the physical, by removing the external, guess what we have to deal with? The internal. And that is what fasting is. It's removing the external things that vie for your attention. And it's not that all those things are evil. It's not that all those things are sinful. And it's not that all those things are bad, right? Because I love coffee. I love caffeine, right? But that is something that I'm going to lay down for 21 days and say, you know what, God? When I feel that pull of, oh, I need it, I could really use a good, strong coffee right now, I'm just going to say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to spend, even if it's just a moment in your presence. A moment saying, I don't need that. I need you. I can live without that. Maybe. We'll find out. But I can't live without you, God. I know that for a fact. I can't live without you. So here's what we're asking. We have about <clears throat> two-thirds of the, um, uh, of the time of our 21 days. So we're starting tomorrow on the 7th, and we're going to end on Sunday the 27th. That'll be our last day. And we have people that are fasting food for the whole day, and they're praying. They're praying for uh, growth, uh, obviously personal growth. They're praying for their families, but they're also praying for us as a church. So we're asking you if you would, uh, if you haven't signed up and you would like to uh, take one day to fast the whole day uh, of food, um, go ahead and just write it down on your connection card or, or write it on, even if it's just your, your notes or something, and, and just leave it at the table, and, and I will contact you. We're going to try to use our social media platforms to be in communication. So uh, uh, if you haven't, if you're on Facebook, but you're not on our Facebook page, go to Boyne, uh, 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 City Church Buena Park. Uh, we have an Instagram page uh, as well. And you can kind of follow us along, and, and we'll try to post what's happening. Uh, I'm asking people that are praying that day if they would kind of let us know how their day is going and, and, and even maybe put their prayer on there or just put what God put on their heart uh, on our social media so we can kind of do it as a church, so we can kind of feel like it's something that we're doing uh, collectively. But you guys, we're believing in, in great things, and our, our, our theme for the year is a year, is a year to grow, is a year to grow. And, and we can't grow without be being stagnant we've got to do something right and this is one of the things that 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 is asked of us to do because it draws us closer to the lord and it allows us to grow and that is what we are desiring this year is a year to grow and i i'm believing you guys i'm believing that when we come around and we're we're standing at the end of 2019 that we're going to see some amazing changes and of course all for the benefit of others and all for the glory of god amen Amen.